All right, where am I? Don't scare me like that, colonizer. Colon what? My name is Everett. Yes, I know. Hey, hi, hello. How's it going, everyone? My name is Chris, and this is D3, the unofficial Digimon podcast. The podcast where every single episode is a comeback episode because you never know when I am going to decide to stop being lazy and record. So the last episode, episode 5, came out back in August. As of right now, as of recording this episode right now, it's October 3rd. And we're only on episode 6 of the series, and today, episode 18 airs, so I know in my previous episodes, I'm like, uh, I, this is just gonna run at its own pace. I actually really need to catch up, because a lot of the other Digimon podcasts are on their shit, they're on top of everything, and there's just me, who's- The series started back in April, right? And it is October now, and you only have 6 as of right now, as of this recording, this one's six episodes, that, yeah, something's gonna have to change. So starting next week, you guys are gonna get two episodes a week, and this is actually going to happen. I'm going to make sure that it actually happens. No excuses, no nothing. That's why I'm here this weekend, so I can have them out by Tuesday, and then Friday or Saturday, hopefully, I'm hoping for Friday, I will also have uh, a podcast episode on the last Evolution Kizuna um, movie that just came out. I know it's been out since March, I believe, or February in Japan. It's officially out here in the U.S. as of Tuesday, and I really want to do a podcast on that just, you know, for timeliness's sake. I don't want to have to, you know, try to play catch up with that either, so hopefully by Friday you'll have three episodes this entire week uh i'm gonna hold myself to that episode six of the series so let's just hop on into it recappy from last episode they read the prophecy from varduruman um there were a bunch of uh tylomon tilomon the dokugamon uh the kids fought them off we got to see kabuterimon for the very first time and now sora Taichi, um, Agumon, and Piyomon are now on their way to find the continent. I forget the name of the continent off the top of my head, but that's what that's where we're at now. So they are looking for the ocean because that's apparently where they need to go to get to the continent. Taichi is trying to figure out the elapsed time that has gone past between... Um, since they got into the digital world, because as you know from uh, the information that Koshiro gave us, they have 72 hours before all of Tokyo is affected by the, the blackouts, which they are investigating now. So we really didn't get a good sense of time between the previous episodes, so I assumed that both of the network, because again, they were not in the digital world, they were in between spot between the digital world and the real world which is called the network and the real world were moving about the same pace because um koshiro and taichi and yamada were able to communicate between each other and koshiro was telling them like hey you have x amount of time to do x thing so i was just assuming yeah they have that time 
same time, same place, you know, they're running concurrently together. Then the group starts, you know, their stomach starts growling because, you know, they are, you know, kids and they need to eat. The Digimon need to eat as well. Um, so, you know, their stomachs are growling. They're trying to figure out what, they, what they're going to eat. Also, did they drink any water? I don't, have they been drinking water? I don't, I don't remember them drinking any water at all. I guess Sora's, you know, survival kit, Ex Machina, was lacking in the food department because, you know, she had everything else, but she didn't have no snacks, no trail mix in there. Okay. Then Agumon's like, hey, something smells good. And then we see a bunch of trees with like these pumpkin apple looking fruits in the distance. The group, they go through the grass and there's like something smells really good. They're about to snack some of the fruit. But then we see a shrouded face in the background and then they get snatched up by a bunch of vines. And now they're hanging up in the air. Uh, the, the shrouded figure is like, ha, they fell for it. And then we see from the top of one of the trees, um, we see Palmon, who's is who's acting as the trap. She, you know, set them up. And then we also see a bunch um, of, of Tanamon pop up from the ground, which is the entraining form. I hope that's the correct term. I should know this. Um, the entraining form of Palmon. The brief exchange between the two groups. And then before we see a human girl emerge from behind the trees and we see that it is uh, Mimi. Mimi Tachikawa. I hope I'm pronouncing her name, la her last name correctly. I also didn't do this in some of the previous episodes, but you already know that they don't look the same as their, you know, original O1 adventure design. So I want to just highlight here how, you know, her design has changed. I think it's a bit more simplified and a bit more practical. She still is sporting the cowboy hat, but instead of it being pink, it is white. Um, the dress is less heavy looking. It's a lot more suited to... It's a lot more like light. It doesn't look as heavy as it did because it was the summer and, it, and the, the dress that she was wearing in no one did not look like a summer dress. It looked more like a fall, you know, winter type ensemble. She is not wearing, she's not wearing the brown and white boots. She's just wearing a simplified brown boot no ug and i think i like this a lot better because it looks like she's a lot more comfortable and she, oh yeah there's no gloves i still didn't understand the whole glove thing in the original series i i uh, i guess it was a fashion statement but again it's summer like your your palms would be sweaty i know i know it gets hot so why do you guys have on gloves and i know they're not lightweight gloves they don't look like lightweight gloves captures her essence but you know it's just a lot more you know modern everything modern now is more simplified so anywho maybe then tells takes the group sorry maybe then takes the group to a clearing where we see a bunch of more we see more tanamon playing grass drums and then we also see a grass throne and then she welcomes them to her kingdom and no <laughs> i i said her kingdom with you know with a bit of emphasis on her because it's giving me very much christopher columbus you know mimi columbus ponce de mimi mimi you know the conqueror without all the you know the the, the implications behind that without the genocide and the disease and all that other stuff but well, well, actually, you don't know. Maybe Mimi was out here being someone's Christopher Columbus. Maybe she did force some of the Tanamon off of their land using Palmon as an enforcer. We don't know. We we just got there, so we don't we don't really know. Do we know? We don't. 
She also refers to Palpon as her butler, but Sora is not really having any of that. She's just like, who are you? Who's this bitch? Who, who are you? But at least Mimi had the common courtesy to introduce herself. She is a whole colonizer, but she's not, she's not, a, she's not a rude colonizer. The whole, this whole scenario harkens back to episode 25 of 01, which I believe is called Princess Karaoke, according to the Digimon Wiki. That's the episode where Joe and Taichi are going to go fetch Mimi because, you know, they're trying to regroup everybody back together now. They've all been separated. But now she is now, she's now the princess of this large elaborate castle castle to Otamamon and the uh, Gekkomon because they want to use her voice to wake up their their actual ruler Shogun Gekkomon so I was just like yeah it's mm, the more things change the more things stay the same somehow people are, are just you know drawn to the fact that they want Mibi to be royalty for some reason let her let her live her, con her you know her colonizer monarchy life Palma then asked the group about Tuskwan, or if they are with associated with Tuskwan, and Tuskwan are these because when I thought when I thought Tuskwan, I was just like, aren't those the elephant Digimon? Because you know, usually when you hear tusk, you think of elephants, but then I, I remembered I was like, no, Tuskwan are the giant green dinosaur Digimon with the black horns. Tai Chi and Sora don't know what they're talking about. But Agumon and Piyomon are just shady, 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 shady towards them. They're just like, aren't they those big pig-like Digimon that are really rude? I'm just like, y'all didn't have to say all that. Y'all could have been just like, you know, oh, you mean those dinosaurs? Y'all really went in on, on the poor Tuskwan. Well, I guess they're not poor Tuskwan if they're over here terrorizing a whole kingdom of Tanamon. Now, are they? Maybe it's just like, you know what? Okay, I guess you're cool or whatever. So we're just going to act like I didn't capture y'all because I thought you were coming onto my land and trying to steal my fruit. And I'm just like, okay. But then maybe just like, okay, then what? why are you here though? And Sora's just like, oh, we got lost. And then meanwhile, back in the network, Koshiro is doing some techie stuff. You already know. Uh, we're not going to harp too too much on that because the writers don't want to try to develop his character. Why should I spend time on it? So we're moving on. Snap back to the other group who explained their whole interaction between them and Varuduruman in the previous episode about the war and the holy Digimon and then being the chosen children. Mimi is just like, oh, okay, yeah, I do remember that she... Uh, um, heard it while she was taking a nap, which did answer my question from the previous podcast. If the other chosen children could hear and see the projection that Varo Duruban did for the other ones, because Koshiro was able to see it while he was in the network. So I'm assuming that anyone else who was who has the Digivice would be able to hear and see it. So that's true. She shows her Digivice to uh, the other kids. So that automatically confirms that she is also a chosen child. Uh, but Mimi is not worried about trying to save the world right now. She's just like, ah, 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 ah. She just doesn't want Tuskmon and Fruit Thieves to come onto the land that she stole. I mean, the land that she is ruling slash protecting for the Tanamon natives. Koshiro interjects like, hey, Taichi, take a look at this video though. Isn't it weird? Taichi is like, mm, it's not moving though. Mimi then is like, oh, yes it is. It's just moving really slow. Also, I noticed that Koshiro and Mimi do not acknowledge each other at all in this episode, but I'm just going to chalk it up to the fact that 
Koshiro was being frantic about the discovery and Mimi was just, you know, very, it's just news. Koshiro explains that time moves at a different pace between the digital world and the real world, which was also true in 01 until the very end of the series where once they defeated the um, Apocalypse, then everything went back to normal, then they were moving concurrently again. I had a whole bunch of questions at first about this, but then they did go on after the fact and explain everything because I was about to say like, if that's true, you're going to have to break it down for me because I have, you know, I remember those first two episodes. You're going to have to make sure you don't write yourself into a corner with this one. But they did explain how that worked. And I will go through that in a little bit because time was sure flowing concurrent as fuck when y'all were fighting Arguma and trying to stop that missile though. So that's why I was just like, okay, parts of the network in the digital world are a lot more shallow than others. So as you move deeper and deeper into one of them, time is slower. I, I mean, I watched it like three times again. So hopefully I did get this correct. But again, I have to say this though. In episode two, I, yeah, I think it's episode two when they were, when they had to go and find the other Argomon, they did have to go through a portal and travel deeper and deeper into the, into the um, network. So I'm like, why didn't time slow down there? Because it's not like they went around the corner or up just a couple of paces up the road. They went through a portal to a whole different section of the net. So why didn't time slow down for them there? Anybody would like to clear that up for me? I would totally, totally appreciate it. But back to the episode at hand. Now we get to see these Tuskmon, these dinosaur Digimon, the Tuskmon grazing on some grass. Well, they're not really grazing on grass. I did appreciate this stuff because I think it's actually really cool. They show that the way that they eat is them digitizing the grass and then absorbing it. So that was just, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, that's actually really cool. Like it's, it's a different take. The Tuskmon are minding their business, just trying to get their eat on. And then here comes Ogremon and whatever the, the fuck Digimon he was riding on. We found out late a little bit, like literally 30 seconds or so later that it's called Koradramon. Koradramon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm so bad with pronunciation. Koradramon. He brings out the Salbirdmon. It does its thing. And now he is controlling the Tuskmon so he goes to him on the kids. We know how this works now. There's no really no, even though I just explained it, there's really no need to harp on it too much. Koshiro decides to share an encoded version of the news clip he showed us earlier now we can see it you know move in real time we are seeing the continued effects of the blackout in tokyo we see a bunch of vehicles and workers with their masks on we still are in a pandemic make sure you wear your mask don't get caught slipping out here we don't have a vaccine yet wear your mask a bunch of people working in the front lines and then we see on the side of like the truck we see Tachikawa Heavy Industries LTD. Mimi's last name is Tachikawa. So we are assuming that this is her family's. And, you know, we see um, some old man talking to the camera crew because this is a news clip. Oh, oh, my grandfather here is just like, okay, instead of Mimi's mom and dad, we have now a grandfather figure. I'm wondering if her mother and father are still going to be in the series. Or not because her mother and father were really weird. Just for the people who've seen 01 and 02, her mother and father were, were kind of weird, weren't they? I mean, they had money. Like they they apparently they were they were they had money. 
because they were able to take Mimi on vacation and our war going to Hawaii. They were able to immigrate to the U.S. as she was, you know, still living, living it up over there. So they had money, but I just didn't know what they did. Like, did we even get any indicator of what they did for a profession? What's the, I, I think, I don't, I don't know. I wonder if they're going to be there or not, or, or if the grandfather is exclusively going to be her parental figure in this series. Again, I didn't watch Try, so I don't know if they explain that either. So I, I don't know. So Mimi is clearly worried about what's going on in the real world and her father, I mean, her grandfather, who is, you know, working hard on the front lines. But she's just like, no, 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 no. But I have to stay here on my conquered land and rule over, I mean, protect the Tanamon from fruit thieves. She, she's, you know, that's that's her thing, protecting the Tanamon with her butler. The group decide. I guess we can, you know, we can help you maintain conquered land. Again, you guys are too trusting, especially after she captured y'all because she thought y'all were trying to steal her fruit. It's the Tanamon's fruit, but it's her conquered land. So we thought you were just, um, I guess you know because she let it go. It's fine. I'm not going to harp on it too much because we know we all know that Mimi is not a bad person. She's a child and she has a case of affluenza. It's fine. It's fine. But then she gives them numbers and then calls them servants. And then she gives them the little sprout like the Tatamon had looking like Among Us characters. Again, we're not going to harp on that too much. We're going to we're going to move on, move ease on down, ease on down, ease on down the road on that one. So we don't really see what they plan on doing to stop the Tusquan, but apparently they have a plan signaling to each other and then to Palmon. Tusquan are about to pull up. Get ready, get ready, get ready. The Tusquan pull up and then two of them fall into a hole. A trap that they dug, two of them were down, then now we're down to four. Because I believe it was either four, it was either six or seven of them that came up, but I think it was six. The other four looked down the hole and just like, yeah, we are, we, we aren't going to do that. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to risk that. So we're going to, we're going to go around. We're going to take the long way around. Easily hopped over the hole. I mean, they're not that big. I mean, they're big, but they're large. I'm pretty sure they could have cleared... The, the hole wasn't that big. They could have cleared the hole. But then we also don't know if they had other traps waiting for them. So I guess it is better for them to, rather than chance it and then getting trapped up, to just go, just take the long way around. So we're just like, okay, fine. Also, why didn't they set up traps in the path? Did they not think... But then again, they're kids. I have, but I mean, Sora had the foresight to bring a whole survival kit with them. Tai Chi and Agumon were able to build a raft with a with a damn serrated um bread knife. But they didn't have the foresight to 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 make traps along the long path. But again, they're kids, so I'm not gonna give it too much. Agumon and Tai Chi are just like, okay, we're gonna go stop them. We're gonna, we're going up the path. We're gonna deal deal with them. We see Ogremon's scary looking self hiding in the grass. He's trying to set it set it up so they can grab maybe. Agumon does his digivolving thing. He's Greymon. He handles two of the Tuskmon easily. How do I pronounce this correctly? Core Red Dramon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Core Red Dramon. Core Dramon. Show up. Sora and Piomon come through. Well, Sora and Bertramon, because you know she did her digivolving thing. They come through. They handle the Core Dramon, and now it's just Mimi and Palmon. So, and the, of course the the Tanabon. Mimi. I mean Palmon is just like, okay, are you scared? Are you scared? Maybe just like a little. We're getting to that point of the episode. They're gonna about to face some some adversity. 
something pops up the ground. It is a Dramochimon. A, a Dramochimon. I remember because Dramochimon was in the first two seasons. So I, I remember Dramochimon. I think it's, a, I, is it supposed to be a narwhal? I think it's supposed to be a narwhal with like the drill for a nose. I think that's what it's supposed, I think that's the correct animal that they were trying to mimic. Palmon pops into action. She's trying to protect Mibi, uh, but she, she's getting tossed around like a fresh green salad at Olive Garden. She is getting flipped, flopped, dropped, pop, lock, and dropped just all over the place. There's at one point, Palmon does her little vine whip thing. Uh, and tries to restrain the Dramojimon. Dramojimon literally is just like, okay, you're you're doing too much. This tornado, dirt, dirt tornado thing forms around. His eyes glow and he starts flexing on her. Like he legit flexes on her. Like we see the pecs, we see the we see the we see the pecs, we see the six pack and everything. And then she just she just goes flying. She got beat up so bad in this episode. She started glitching out like she was about to die on the verge of reconfiguration that's how bad it was none of the other digimon were all were literally on that path they get scratched up a bit they did get a, a little bruised and, and battered a little bit but it was not to uh to that effect like this this was bad does that does that mean she was weaker than the other digimon or was jerunjimon just really doing the most we we don't know i think it, i think it was the latter though palbon is glitching out like she's about to she's about to go she's about to go mimi is just like oh palmon is just like you know you need to leave they're coming after you we get we get it the the, the drum dr dramatics mimi's just like no i'm not leaving you you were friendly to me that one time when i was sitting on that log and, and then you took me to your people and then i colonized your land we have history together what will they do without me <laughs> Okay, I need to clear I need to clear this up. I'm not serious about the whole colonizer thing. Please do not attack me to all like the the Mimi lovers out there. I love Mimi too. It's just it's just I just thought of this joke and then I just wanted to run with it. It's, this is not this is not really how I view her. The tears, the crying, her digivice begins to glow and then Palmon gets to evolve into Togemon, the giant cactus with the boxing gloves. Quick question. Did y'all ever wonder why she digivolved into a cactus with boxing gloves? That's just, just that's just a very bizarre um, digivolution. Hey, a, a boxing cactus. I wonder what the thought process was before that went to that. Pokemon and Dramojimon going at it. It's touch and go for a little bit. Greymon and Bergemon have finished off the Tuskmon and the Korodramon, and now they're going after Ogremon. Greymon and Ogremon are going at it a little bit. Greymon is using his, his nose horn thing and he breaks one of Ogremon's horns. Clean off, you see the digital specs and everything. It comes clean off. Togemon does the little, um, I think it's called Prickly Prickly Bang Bang or Prickly Bang Bang, something like that. Prickly something, Prickly something Bang Bang Prickly attack. And then it gives it a one-two piece and then it breaks it's nose drill thing and it fight over it's done it's a ko and you're done lay down sit this one out togemon d digivolves back to palmon they cry they love each other they're looking on the other group is looking on approvingly and i guess kicks Mimi into gear like if i stick around here y'all i'm just gonna bring more trouble and I have my my duty as a chosen child. So she's just like, okay, you know, give up some of them fruit. Come and make me this grass Birkin bag. And then 
she decides, okay, I'm going to leave the Tenemon here. They should be fine. Even though, you know, a Tuskmon might come through. But they were, apparently they were doing just fine without her. So, um, yeah. So she's just like, okay, we're going to leave. She takes the fruit. She takes the grass bag and they depart. And that is the end of the episode. And I think this has, I think this is the fastest that not the fastest podcast but i think this is the fastest that i've gotten through information here like like i said i didn't really harp on anything too much in this episode because this wasn't actually this was actually a pretty okay episode this is what i expected from an x x joins the party now episode because that's what we're going to be getting i think at least until probably episode what's episode eight because we still have to see joe we saw joe earlier in episode three right yeah we saw joe in episode three so we still need to meet joe and i think we're going to meet joe in episode seven and of course we have to figure out where the freak yamato is so i think we're, we're just grabbing up everybody and then still we still have to get koshiro at the damn network so he could be with everybody else because he's still stuck but yeah i i i mean i didn't feel any strong ways towards this episode i didn't really love it i didn't really dislike it either it was just a very okay episode and that's what i expected from now i'm not really gonna harp on the animation as much because we, we, we already know we're either going to get really good animation or really bad animation. There's no point to be just highlighting it all the time. You know what? I might combine episode six and episode seven together um, just because I feel like this is going to run a little short. And uh, I think I'm going to end episode six here. And welcome back to the second half of our podcast double feature. I think from now on, at least until we get all caught up, I may do the podcasts like this where I do two episodes of podcast. Again, I had said that previously. Episode six was so short and I don't think this one is going to be as long as my previous podcast either. Mine as well do two at a time get them out the way, and then you, once we, whatever episode we get actually caught up on, we go back to the one episode podcast thing. So uh, I guess depending on how this one goes, that's going to be the move from the previous episode. Well, of course. So starting off, the group is now taking a much deserved break after the fight they had with Ogrebon, Silamon, and Dramojimon. And they're now sitting around enjoying some tea. We see Mimi sitting under a large leaf with a chair with an actual teacup in her hand while the others are sitting on the ground with paper cups and leaves as plates. Like she even has a side table 
and an actual tea kettle. I guess she wasn't lying when she said that Palmon was her butler because Palmon is attending to her with a leaf draped over her arm like like a waiter, like she is serving her. I'm actually surprised that she, Palmon isn't walking around with an umbrella and a fan trying to shield Mimi from the sun. Like it still gives you me that colonizer energy that she had back in the Tanamon village. Hopefully this will be a point of contention in the plot later on down the line. We need Mimi to break out of that, especially if she's going to be helping the group. She can't be acting all hoity-toity all the time. She's going to have to get her hands dirty. Something is going to have to give. Right now, it's not really bothering me. They're playing it up. That's just her character. But if this continues down the line, then I foresee it being a problem with the other chosen children. Sora questions if they should be resting at a time like this. And Mivi says something um real really that's that just made me want to eat the rich something about her grandfather and traders you know but rich people talk i i i i don't have time for that i'm struggling with my student loans over here you'll probably be set for life i i, I want to hear it so luckily sora doesn't have to worry about it too much because palmon informs the group that the sea is just past the bushes that they're sitting behind uh they get to the sea they admire the sea it's looking beautiful lush do you use lush to describe water no you would lose i don't know usually when i hear the word lush i usually think of either alcoholics or grass or or grass or greenery i don't know if you would consider water lush i i like the i like the word lush so we're just going to use the word lush lush water so they finally get to the sea thankfully now they have to figure out a way to cross the sea because I don't think Greymon is that big to swim them all across. They do have Bergermon, and I don't think they want to be sitting up on Togemon with, like, the spikes and stuff like that. I mean, not spikes, the... What are those things called? Pricks? Prickly things? I don't know. She has an attack called Prickly Bang Bang, so I don't think they want to get Prickly Bang Banged trying to cross the sea. The group, except for Mimi and Palmon, do some surveying to see if Bergermon can make the trip across comfortably. Tai Chi, with his telescope, notices that there is a whirlpool below and a glowing red symbol and a bunch of black cannonball things come flying at the group. Birchbond attempts to dodge, and in her haste to dodge the cannonball things, Sora falls off her leg, and she falls into the water. Also, Birchbond gets hit by a couple of these black cannonball things, and now everybody's in the water. Everybody, like, she, she gets lit up, and then whoosh, they all crash into the water. Luckily, everybody can swim, and they get float, so no one is too hurt except for Piyomon, who de-digivolves back into i mean well piomon not that's what i meant but they don't have really have too much time to regroup before two large tentacles come and lunge toward them uh whatever is under there is not too happy and they want the children children gone so the arms are coming they have to swim the shore now they're about to be snatched up by these tentacles but then we hear the call the call of the marching fishes and a school of multicolored fish appear and scurry away with haste with the kids on their back and the digimon as well leading the fish though is another digimon and this digimon is gomamon also a quick note here i did not expect go that voice to come out of gomamon i'm again 
I only watched the American Fox Kids dub of the first two seasons. And I know for this series, a lot of the original Japanese voice cast for both the kids, for was it the kids and the Digimon or just the Digimon? I know a lot of the Japanese voice cast for the Digimon came back for this, except for like one person who passed away, unfortunately. Uh, so when I hear when I heard this voice, I, I it was just not it was just you know a disconnect. I was just not expecting that voice. I don't have a problem with the voice. It's just that it was it was just really unexpected. Mimi finally gets off of her butt because while all of this was happening, she was in her chair uh, with her large leaf, yawning, being a prima donna. She finally gets off her butt and she tries to figure out what happened. And we learn that the thing that attacked them was Gesselmon, who does not like people crossing the sea. And I guess it doesn't matter how they cross the sea, whether by land or by whatever form of water transportation Gesselmon doesn't like y'all trying to cross their sea bang bang he shut you down bang bang that awful sound Gobamon introduces himself and he lets them know that he knows that they are the chosen children and that he also has a human partner but he doesn't really seem too enthused about his partner we figure out why a little later on we're jumping back into the real world where the day is starting to close, it's starting to get dark, it's a golden hour, the streetlights are on. Hikari, Tai's sister, Tai Chi's sister, is glued to the front of the TV as a news story about the power outages is shown. And some of the power in their apartment goes off. Um, tai Chi's mother is in the kitchen preparing dinner, I believe. And their microwave goes off and some of the lights go off. But the TV is still working, so I guess it's just selective. And we also see that Koshiro is also watching the same news clip saying that he needs to hurry up and join the rest. I mean, I've been saying this since episode three that he should have been with the rest of the group and not be stuck floundering in the net. But you know, you know how that goes. I guess they need to have some sort of tension going on. Then we go back to the rest of the group and we see that Govamon has taken them to his partner, who is sitting under a hut with a bunch of books around him. He's holding up a book, and he is studying. These kids are out here really resourceful, out here making rafts and chairs and side tables and husks. I mean, the huts. Husks. <laughs> huts with desk areas. In 2020, I don't know. <laughs> So, anywho, the boy with the blue hair, the glasses, and the stylish sweater vest is actually Joe Keto. So, at first, Joe, um, after Gobamon lets him know, like, hey, I found some more humans. I found some more chosen kids. And at first, Joe seems really elated and excited to see that there are other humans here in the digital world with him. And the group goes around and introduces himself themselves. But as they go around and they tell their age, Joe seems to deflate. And he states, oh, there are no grown-ups here. Because he wants to leave. He wants to leave. He does not want to be in the digital world at all. He wants to go home. Because he has better things to do. They give Joe the whole spiel about their situation, about their destiny as chosen children, the whole blackout situation in Tokyo, the holy Digimon, and Joe is like, I don't want to do all that. 
and I don't believe your story. Even though you are currently in the digital world, surrounded by Digimon, and you have no idea what you're doing or where you are, I don't know, I probably would be a little bit more susceptible to that. But then again, I did say that these kids were a bit too trusting numerous times, so Joe's skepticism is actually a little bit refreshing, I'm not even going to lie. I need some of y'all to be questioning your surroundings, and the only other person who I know would question your surroundings is stuck in the net. Having Joe around is probably going to inject some much needed I, I don't want to say thought because they're not dumb. They're they're just they just are trying to get to their goal. But it would give us a lot more brain power for us to like sit down and think about what we are going to do and what our surroundings are and how to deal with them. Oh, also the group refers to Joe as Senpai. I totally forgot that Joe is like two years older than the rest of the group. And Joe, when Joe introduces himself, he says that he is a sixth grader. So yeah, uh, so I'm just like, okay, so from now on, I'm just going to refer to Joe as Senpai. I will be referring to Joe as Joe Senpai just because he's older. Joe is now Joe Senpai from now on until the series ends, until this podcast series ends. He is Joe Senpai. Everybody here is in the fourth grade, and I'm assuming Yamato is also in the fourth grade as well. We don't really get confirmation of that. We don't have confirmation of that at all. He never said. So I'm just assuming that he's also a fourth grader. Sora notes that she remembers Joe Senpai from the camping trip in episode three, that very short, like, 15 seconds or whatever where he complains to the kids about the cutting of the vegetables joe says that he can't concern himself with any of this because he has entrance exams to study for and i uh, and he says middle school entrance exams i was not aware that japan had entrance exams for middle school I know they have them for high school and I know they have them from college based on the Japanese media that I have consumed in my lifetime. Those are, I know that's, those two things are given. It's about middle school entrance exams. And Joe's a sixth grader. I know here in the United States, our middle school runs from sixth grade to eighth grade. I know that some places their middle school runs from sixth to ninth grade. And also in some of the media, Japanese media I've consumed, there are no fourth years in high school. There's usually first years, second years, and third years. So I'm assuming that their middle school runs from seventh grade to ninth grade, and their high school system runs from 10th grade to 10th, I mean, 10th grade to 12th grade. Again, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, this is all assumption. But yeah, middle school entrance exams... Uh, that's that's really a thing to get back on track right here would be the part where i would complain that the writers are trying to pigeonhole joe into this neurotic bookworm archetype and that would be really one note kind of like how they're trying to pigeonhole koshiro into the tech whiz in all honesty joe is probably the most fleshed out character in the entire series already and he hasn't even been on screen for like five minutes. But we already we already get a good sense of who Joe is and what Joe is about. And 
this all happens after their discussion about needing Joe's help in order to find the holy Digimon. Joe starts complaining about being stuck in the digital world while his academic rivals are getting a leg up in studying for his middle school entrance exams. He begins banging his head against one of the posts. That's the word I'm looking for. Holding up the hut as, as well as using his hands. We learn that he is from a family of doctors and he feels he needs to become one as well. This whole scene is played up for comedy's sake because after that, the hut falls down on him. The funny music is playing. Mimi makes the statement like, oh, we have to bring this guy with him. And then Ty makes a face. But honestly, this is actually very, very concerning. Here you have this 12-year-old. I'm assuming he's 12 because he's in because he's a sixth grader and the rest of the kids are around 10. So I'm assuming he's a 12-year-old. He's very young. Under so much pressure, not only because of his family's high expectations, but because of Japanese society's expectations to become a contributing part of society. So rather than worrying about himself and concerning himself on how to get out of his bizarre predicament in the digital world, he decides he'd rather not do any of that and just sit around and continue to study because he feels like if he doesn't, he's going to be a disappointment. He's going to get left behind and he's going to bring shame on his family. That's, that just puts a lot. Uh, that's a lot. Gives Joe's character a lot of good, good, you know, good stuff to think about. And it gives him nuance. And while, yes, we do get a lot of tell more than show i feel like him banging his head against these posts and pushing them and like to the point where he has bruises on his forehead from banging his head against the thing i felt like it was strong enough to get all of it across and i actually applaud the writers for that this was really really solid solid shit more stuff that i need to see in order for me to be really invested in these characters because so far i'm out of all the kids, I am invested in Joe right now. Joe is the one that I am most concerned about, the most I want to, you know, I want to discover more about, and the more I, the one I care about the most. Gomamon tries to convince Joe to join the others on their journey, but Joe, of course, has tunnel vision, and he dismisses him, letting him know that while he views Gomamon as a help, he does not view him as a partner because Gomamon refers to him as his partner then joe stops him in senseless it's like yeah i appreciate your help but yeah i don't remember us being partners and that kind of hurt my feelings like a little bit like i was kind of hurt for gomama because gomama's just tried to be as helpful as possible and try to be understanding but joe is just like i need to study i need to focus on my studies Tai Chi hops into the conversation and Joe is like, there's no guarantee that even if we do complete this outlandish task, that they'll be able to return to the real world. He gives Gobamon permission that he could go with the rest of the group, but he's just going to stay there and he is going to study. Now we go back to the issue at hand where we have to figure out how the hell are they going to get across the water with Gesselmon lurking out there? Because they can't fly. They tried flying and Bergemon got shot the fuck out the air. So they can't do anything with that. Again, I don't think Greymon can swim. And I, I don't think people want to be sitting up 
uh, and get prickly prickly or prickly bang banged by Togemon. So there we're back to square one. So the others decide to formulate a plan and because Piyoman was injured because of the earlier Gessamon attack, they decide to swipe swap out, not swipe out, swap out Piyoman and Palmon. Gomon decides, hey, he's going to volunteer himself and he's going to volunteer his marching fishes technique to act as a lure to get Gessamon onto land so they'll have a better chance of defeating it. Also, I'm giving it up to Gobamon for showing a lot of understanding. He seems to be very in tune with his partner. He completely understands Joe's adverseness to helping them and he decides that he wants to represent not only himself but Joe in this situation I guess just to show the kids like hey you know even though Joe seems to be really really difficult he's really not as difficult as he's portraying himself to be he just has a lot on his plate right now so yeah just take this just take my volunteering my volunteerism is that a word volunteerism just take what I'm doing as an act of good faith from both of us and while all of this is going on, we see Joe hiding behind a very well-illustrated rock. I just wanted to point it out. The rock in that in this episode that they happen to be behind for a good portion of the episode later on is really well animated. So now we are putting the plan into action. Gobamon swims out to the middle of the sea. He... Uh, lures out Gesselmon with his marching fishes. Uh, I feel kind of bad for the fish because they do get a little uh, slapped around by Gesselmon's tentacles a, a, just a little bit and they go flying but it seems like the plan is going according my plan is going according to plan. The plan is going to according to plan. He's taunting, dipping and dodging, leading the Gesselmon to shore Gesselmon is getting real annoyed by this and then he flings one of his tentacles and Gomamon goes flying into the air and onto the shore. Joe runs from behind his little rock hiding place and he goes and tends to him. I mean he is a bookworm but don't he he's not a heartless bookworm. Gesselmon comes onto land with uh, all of his tentacles in tow and he's trying to attack Gomamon and joe but akumon and palmon do their thing and evolve and they decide they want to take on gesselmon and the the way that is set up is giving me very much kaiju movie energy you have the giant squid monster yeah because gesselmon is a giant squid and we have the giant dinosaur and we have the giant cactus monster it just it just gave me very kaiju while this is all happening, Gomamon and Joe are having their pre-evolution heart-to-heart. Gesselbud puts up a little fight and they're attacking. We get a prickly bang-bang here and a Nova Blast here. Gesselbud is just like, okay, I'm clearly going to lose if I stay on shore. So let me hop back into this water. And after that happens, he wraps up both Togemon and Greymon. Now he has the advantage because he's in the water. We need to we need to hurry this up. We need Joe and Gomamon to have their you know to have this heart to heart so we can get to where we need to go. Gomamon and Joe's heart to heart is actually really touching. We see throughout like the flashbacks and stuff that Joe has been showing some doubt about his ability as a partner. He tells Gomamon, he's just like, oh. 
were you not disappointed that you have me as a partner? And Goldman is just like, no, bitch. We're partners. We, we, you know, we bang together. I mean, he didn't say all that, but you, you, you get, we get it. We know that Joe is very much aware of himself. And we also see throughout the flashback, there was also some reciprocation of their caring toward each other. We see that Goemon actually did, I don't know, did Goemon build the thing for him? Because I don't remember it being there. I think he, I think Goemon actually built that hut for him. I don't know how, because he's not ambidextrous. I mean, that's not the word. He's not, what's the word? What is the word? What is the word? What is the word? He's not. What's the thing? What What's the thing? What is the word for animals with like opposable thumbs? I don't, I can't. But anywho, he doesn't have hands, so he, he can't grab things and and put them together and build them. So I don't know if Joe did that, and I don't know if Goblin did that. But yeah, we see that they have. They have a respect for each other, and they they do truly care for each other, despite how Joe comes off very stoic and very matter-of-fact about his studies. It's very genuine. This is reinforcing my, my I, I want to see more of Joe and Gobelmon's relationship, because they are really setting it up as the strongest so far of the kid. And we know what time it is. Joe acknowledges that they are partners his digivice glows and we see his crest and now gobamon is a ikakumon he's not a walrus is he is ikakumon a role of walrus ikakumon some sort of digivite i want to say walrus i want to say a walrus gesobot has a worthy opponent because now because ikakumon is a water type digimon with the help of both greymon and togemon and a few Harpoon Vulcans, not Harpoon Torpedo, Harpoon Vulcans. They handle Gesamon to the point that he inks himself and he sinks to the bottom of the sea. Yeah, they beat him up that bad. At least he at least he didn't get beat up as bad as Palmon got beat up in the last episode where she was glitching out, but it still got beat up pretty, pretty bad. And now we have a clear path to the continent because not only is Gesamon taken care of but ikakuman can swim and ikakuman is large enough to accommodate all of the kids so win-win yay excitement well then again we don't know how far it actually is birchabon didn't really get that far before she got shot out the air because i was about to say they could split up and have some of them fly with birchabon and some of them swim with ikakuman but again we don't know how far it is so Joe is like, okay, we need to hurry this shit up because I still have studying to do. And because I'm the oldest, y'all gonna have to listen to me. Falls into the water. They have a good laugh. And that is the end of the episode. And again, very, very fast. Very, very good episode. Really, really strong episode here. This is probably, this is probably number two after episode two. Everything here was done very, very well. The setup of meeting Joe and Gomamon, Gomamon and Joe's relationship, Joe's character in general being the strongest kid character thus far in the series. The setup of having to get across the sea without the help of Bergermon. It all worked. 
I have no complaints. This was a really good episode. I hope that the rest of the series is as strong as this episode because I I just... I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I really thought that I was going to dislike Joe here, but I actually think he's my favorite character so far. So good way of breaking my expectations, of subverting my expectations. This episode is done. Episode six and seven in the bag. And now we only have another 11 episodes to go because episode 18 aired already so yeah we'll have another 11 episodes to go if i'm doing the calculations right we should be caught up sometime by the end of november and then we go back to one episode per week because i need to stick to a whole weekly schedule unless they happen to take a break which i don't think they're going to do friday we're gonna have another episode and friday is going to be the uh, Digimon Last Evolution Kizuna episode. Next week, it's going to be episodes 8 and 9. And if I could push it out, hopefully I can do a episode 10 and 11, possibly. I'm not going to hold myself to that. 8 and 9, definitely. If we could do 10 by itself, and then we just do 11, 12, yada, yada, yada. And then we push it down, then we could do that. Thanks again for everyone who is listening to the podcast, who is still probably already caught up with the series, but are coming back and listening to these podcasts. I really, really appreciate it. Keep an eye out for these upcoming episodes. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'll see you in the next one.